Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. A licensed chiropractic doctor, certified Ayurvedic practitioner, registered yoga teacher and yoga therapist, author and an entrepreneur, Sarah Kuchera has a brilliantly unique perspective on how we experience life's imbalances in both body and mind. As a doctor, teacher, mover, and health sleuth, Sarah is based in Kansas City, Missouri, and heads up the Sage Center for Yoga and Healing Arts, where all of these modalities merge together. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you. I'm so honored to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. Sarah, you describe at the start of your book, the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook, your childhood and family life so beautifully. So could you tell us from that place, tell us your background and how did you land here with this very multifaceted approach to both your work and your life? Well, as you learned from my book, I'm from a small town in Iowa. And though I didn't grow up on a farm, my grandparents had a farm. And I lived in a farming community. It was a very rural community. And without really knowing it until I reflected back later in life, I realized that I really grew up with the rhythm of nature. And it had to do with how my parents designed our lives and how I was, you know, on my grandparents' farm and learning things without really even knowing I was learning them at the time, just gardening and Um, just think all things about nature. And when I realized later in life that we are losing our connection with nature, it gave me a point to pause and to look back and say, this has always been a part of me. And I remember being healthier and happier when I had this sort of structure designed by nature. And Coming from that small town in Iowa, I always had an interest in health and an interest in movement that was just a part of my nature. And so I never really questioned education in terms of what would I do uh, for a living. I just knew that I should follow what I want to learn. And in some way, I would figure out how to make a career out of it. So I started out my undergraduate degree in exercise physiology and didn't really think that that would be the end path for me, but I did work in corporate wellness for a couple of years, for three years actually, until I decided to pursue um, a chiropractic education. And during that time, or within that window of time, I also started practicing yoga, and I was immediately drawn to yoga because first and foremost, from the outside, it looked like gymnastics, and it was like gymnastics, but for adults, like the things that you might have done as a child for play, but this was adults practicing. But my personal experience when taking class was really more, more than just what was happening with our bodies. So it was fun to, to make these different shapes and to sort of break them down, even intellectually, but I would always leave that class feeling different than how I felt when I walked in. So I knew that there was much more to it. So I was simultaneously studying yoga and chiropractic at the same time and knew that when I 
graduated, I definitely wanted those things to be integrated together. And my first job, essentially, after graduating as a chiropractor, I did exactly that. I worked out of a yoga studio, quite literally. I had portable tables that I would set up in the big yoga room, and I would see patients between classes, and I would put my tables away (laughs) when classes were going on. It was actually a lot of work, but it was very fulfilling because I was seeing the very patients that I wanted to see, people that had they were like-minded and they had an interest in yoga and an interest in being healthier, which wasn't always the case. You know, as a a student working in a clinic, you would just see the people that were relying on you to make them better. And I knew that's not who I wanted to see. And whether or not you know it, Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. And as one that loves to pursue education, that's of course something that I'll be doing the rest of my life. I was taking a workshop on Ayurveda and realized that it was such a strong, there was such a strong connection between how I practice as a chiropractor and a yoga teacher or a yoga student and Ayurveda. It was like it was bridging the two things together because as a chiropractor, you receive an education that's very similar to a medical doctor, but of course what we are doing to treat and what we are treating is different, but we still have to learn how to exam, do eye exams and ear exams and all the basic things you might do in a health physical. And that wasn't really what I was doing. I was treating people more off of movement disorders. But as Ayurveda came to my awareness, into my awareness, I really saw that I could be treating those things for people. I could use that education that I had that was not just about the musculoskeletal system and weave in nutrition and lifestyle and herbs to help people feel better. And that's ultimately where I landed, just sort of never questioning (laughs) what I would do with these things. In fact, my mom, I remember, asked me at one point, what are you going to do with that? And I thought, I don't know. I just want to learn about it. But that's that's how I came to be. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because I have recently revisited chiropractic care a couple of months ago for the first time in like over a decade. I'll be totally transparent. I had avoided it. I didn't really have a great result years ago. And yet I've now found the right person. And it's incredible. The application has physically, but also almost feels energetically um improved my life in many ways and it's been such a compliment to uh the therapeutic practice of of yoga and ayurveda that i've been utilizing to heal a lot of injuries and and issues in my body um and so i can imagine even though it's a very interesting and unique combination i can imagine that it would certainly be very complementary yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So with that in mind, how did your book, which for those listening is titled The Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook, how did this come about? As I'm sure many people have a dream of writing a book, I also wanted to write a book. Um, That was before I ever really knew what the topic would be. I like to write. I usually am just writing for myself. But Teaching is also something that I really love to do. And so writing and writing a book specifically gave me another outlet to help teach, to teach others. 
the reason why I wrote the book is because I was seeing in my practice, both as a chiropractor and an Ayurvedic practitioner, that there were people that were doing the quote right things for their health. They might have been eating correctly or eating in a way that we could view as very ideal. And they were exercising in a way that was very ideal, but they still weren't feeling well. And I realized that if I was just going to give them, let's say, herbal therapies, which I'm definitely a fan of, but if I was just going to give them herbs and I wasn't working with them to change other things in their life, then it really wasn't different than, it was different, but not so different than just giving a pharmaceutical. And when I started to look at this more closely, I realized these people are doing the right things, but they're not doing them at the right times. They don't have any kind of structure to their life. They don't have, and I often refer to it as a container. So they don't have a container for all of the things that they do. And I then started, I actually did a little experiment on myself. (laughs) I took a, for two weeks, I did a a photo journal and decided I will eat at the same times, wake up at the same time, you know, be very, very disciplined in doing that. And I'm just going to take a picture of myself to see if I look any different. And it was amazing because I wasn't getting more sleep. I was just sleeping at the same times. And I looked like incredibly refreshed (laughs) in just a matter of days. And I had actually at the time been posting it somewhere on my social media and someone commented, yeah, it's amazing what sleep can do for you. And I said, well, it's not the sleep. It's the mere fact that I've brought consistency into my day and I'm basing it off of Ayurvedic principles. And so once I had done that sort of self-experiment, then I started integrating it more into the work that I was doing with patients. And then that's when the book was born. Yeah, and I think, you know, what comes to mind is that the the intention to be really consistent and regular with the simplest of things must have a profound impact on the nervous system and the stress response. And that in itself is going to obviously enable us to radiate a greater, deeper sense of health. And I can testify to that being a mother when, you know, all kinds of routine and regularity go out the window when you have a kid. But then as your child grows up and what I've really tried to do is um, create that rhythm and that predictability because they kids thrive off that. But then also we do as well. And it it creates a greater sense of calm in like daily life. And it, it, I'm sure you experience the same thing, but when I speak to clients, you know, you often just see that it's the simplest of tweaks and changes. They don't need herbs or, you know, medication or anything. It's it's really about changing those fundamental foundations of how we live our day-to-day life. Um, yeah. So, and there's a lot of ritual and simple self-care practices in your book and recipes and and just so many beautiful things. It's a gorgeous book and really, I believe, accessible, particularly for those out there who are newer to Ayurveda. So in that light, what for you personally, what does ritual and self-care look like in your world, in Sarah's world? Ritual for me, and I maybe should say that I sort of have a definition for different um, words that could imply the same thing. So 
I'm happy that you use the word ritual because sometimes people will talk about habits and I say, well, it's not really that I'm trying to get people to have new or good habits because to me, the word habit implies a lot less intention and is not quite as mindful. So I decipher in my life, not really the habits that I want to have, but the routine that I would like to have and then my rituals. And routine is really more like I'm brushing my teeth, I'm using my tongue cleaner, I'm doing these things that are done in routine manner, but I'm still doing them in a mindful way. So I'm using my tongue cleaner and looking at what I'm cleaning off. I'm not doing it um, without being present in the moment. Ritual for me is really more about the things that are feeding me as I am naturally. So routine is almost more hygienic and ritual has to do with filling the gaps in my life that require me, that that I require to be happy. And that sounds complicated, but rituals for me include going for walks and being outside and cooking my own food and also really trying to honor the change in seasons. So I have different things that I will do at different times of year. I love to have just rituals surrounding the different moon cycles. So those are a little bit different. Whereas self-care, I might have a more evolved self-care practice than others do um, because I do Ayurvedic routine like dry brushing and I oil and I use a tongue cleaner and I'll use nausea oil. But the rituals have more heart to them. And I I, I certainly got a sense of that in your book. It's a really beautiful, nourishing and nurturing approach, if you will. That's the intention that I got, certainly. And is there a book that you feel put you personally on your trajectory Ayurveda related or not or perhaps a book that you would recommend others besides your own uh, to, to dive into well when I was exploring ideas for how I could present this material to people I fell in love with the book um, The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp and She's written it more about the creative community and how to thrive in a, in a creative way, but she's actually suggesting very similar things that I'm suggesting in the book is that we have to have routine and consistency and things have to have meaning behind it. So that was definitely a book that had impact on me regarding this similar subject matter. Um, The man who wrote the foreword of my book has, he has several books actually. Um, His name's Dr. Suhas Shirsagar, and he has a book with similar content called Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life. And that's also, it's fantastic. Yeah, similar content, but just a, a little different. And speaking of routine, and ritual. I know that something that's on your radar right now and particularly that you're teaching within your own community is the concept of designing your day. 
Would you like to speak to that a little bit and the value and importance and what that might actually entail and look like? Absolutely. I find that there are a greater number, there's a greater number of people working from home. And when we work from home, it is much harder to have structure. So when we think about our lives as they've evolved from when we were farmers, let's say, farmers worked from daylight. So from sun up to sundown, and there weren't many options after that. So your day would end when that would happen. And of course, farmers absolutely work with, with seasons as well. But then when we started to be more industrialized and we started to have nine to five jobs, some of that was taken away. We didn't have as much of nature to influence. And nature still existed, obviously, but it wasn't influencing us in the same way because we had electricity. And so we could stay up later, we could do things differently than when we just relied on nature. But yet, if we compare those times, and I feel like that's even as recent as like the 80s, that we didn't have the same kind of technology. And so now, fast forward to our current day, we have cell phones, we have email, we have social media, we can connect pretty much anywhere, anytime, which could be, in many scenarios, a blessing. And at the same time, it's very detrimental to our health because unless you are already programmed to start your day in a specific way and to start your work day at a certain time and end your work day at a certain time, you can do anything you want whenever you want. And so I created a little workshop that really I pulled some content from my book, but structured it in a way that was really more about how you can design your day when you're working from home. And this could apply to anyone, even if you don't work from home. But I incorporated both Ayurvedic um, rhythm, so to speak, so like the Ayurvedic clock and how... Ayurveda says our body and our mind work better at certain things at certain times of day. And circadian medicine suggests the same thing. And they very much agree. They, they use different languaging, but when you look at them side by side, they are pretty much the same thing. And so I use this as the foundation for helping people to understand when is your focus best? When are you best creatively? And if you're always trying to focus at 2 p.m., which is when we're not good at focusing, then you're sort of setting yourself up for, I don't want to say failure, but just even frustration. That if you can't focus on something at that time, it's best to just step away from it because that is not the time to be doing it. So it's all about working with your physiology to understand not only from just like a health perspective, how you can be healthier, but from even just efficiency and productivity, how you can be better. Isn't it, I find it fascinating and exciting that a lot of the Ayurvedic applications and knowledge and teachings which have been around for, you know, we know thousands of years are finally being validated by science, for example, circadian rhythm. And, um, and yet, you know, 
these masters have known of this truth. And I think that that comes back to that real strong connection to nature, which is ultimately that Ayurvedic clock and that Ayurvedic rhythm and same with the, the circadian rhythm. So what do you think, uh, what would you suggest are the main things we want to focus on when it comes to designing your day? I recommend that people first start with what I call creating their container and creating their container means that they have anchors or pillars throughout their day. So they have their bookends, the beginning of their day and the end of their day that they should wake up at the same time, go to bed at the same time. And then throughout the day, their eating times, for example, should be the same. And then I also often recommend just taking a break. So what would, what would your break time be? So the container, I guess, is really more about the beginning and the end of your day. And then those pillars and anchors are those things that are happening throughout. And if you can establish when those can be consistent, then you can go back and fill, fill in or color in the template. So for example, we're much better at physical strength, physical endurance, mental endurance in the morning before, let's say, noon. And we have better mental focus between basically 10 and 2 during the day. And after that, it doesn't mean that you would be unable to focus, but it's, it's that you're much more easily distracted. So when I'm working with people, I like for them to write out a list of their responsibilities, a list of their day-to-day -day tasks. And once they've created that container, to just loosely schedule in when will these things happen so that they occur with the way that nature really assists and supports. So it's essentially really living in alignment with the qualities throughout the different periods of the times of the day to ultimately create greater effectiveness. I, I, I almost feel reluctant to say effectiveness and efficiency because it kind of implies like work and doing, um, but it's just a more intelligent approach to when you're doing and when you're resting. And I suppose, you know, if you have to work in that afternoon time slot, you may just be a little less effective or you might need some kind of ritual or practices in place to support you through that. And, and when you say, um, the beginning and the end of the day, are you speaking to like literally the moment from when you wake and go to bed rather than like your working day? Yes. That's what you mean, correct? Yes. The day, like your waking hours. Yes. Mm. Yes. And when you say effectiveness, I, or I completely agree that there are words that I feel have a little stigma behind them. And we obviously live in a society where people sort of revere how productive they can be or we can be. But this is also about how efficient and productive your organs can be. That our digestive system is the strongest between 10 and 2 during the day. Well, that's also when we have great mental sharpness. So if you choose to eat your biggest meal and you do that while taking a break, you're giving your body more openness, more room to, to do its work in terms of digestion. If you're focusing on work and trying to eat your biggest meal at the same time, then that doesn't work. 
So it also has to do with not just work in terms of our professional life, but it's our, how our physiology is working too. Mm. And in, in Ayurveda, you know, digestion is everything. And yet, uh, I don't know about you, but I find that most people that I speak to, digestion is one of the biggest complaints. And I think that we're finding that a lot of digestive issues are becoming people's new normal, like what they think is just their baseline normal and they don't realize, you know, that they need to have a bowel movement every day or, or, or the sensations that they're experiencing or inability to digest certain things can actually be improved upon. Um, and it can be, as you say, as simple as very mindfully and consistently eating at the same time and according to the energetics of the times of the day with respect to how much you eat and what, what you're eating and so forth. And I think human nature, it's, just, it's far too simple. We're so quick to dismiss it. Um, we've just been conditioned very much uh, to do that. Uh, so with these ideas and concepts and learning in mind, for you right now personally, what does studentship look like? So are you studying or are you immersing in anything in any way? I wish that I could say <laughs> that I was doing something more formally because that is some that is a way that I thrive. I definitely thrive when I have subject matter to, to, be, to be a student. However, I do have interest in writing another book. And so though not formally, I'm sort of doing my personal data collection on what that next book will look like. And so I guess I'm a student um, right now of what's more like Ayurvedic psychology and how we're functioning in the mind, because now that's the next gap that I'm really noticing for people is that I'll have someone right in front of me and I can really understand what their patterns are in a mental and emotional way and how they're interfering with their health more than they can. And I want to enable people to use, to, to be able to have the tools that they can use on their own to understand their own self and obviously still rely on other people for guidance, but it's just fascinating when you can sort of predict what someone's emotional patterns are like. And so I'm using different resources and just kind of comparing even with personality types, um, especially like with the Enneagram and how that compares to our different doshas. And so that's what I'm learning right now. Mm. I, I think it's really fascinating to go down those wormholes because I, I'm kind of into the Enneagram phase at the moment too. It's, it's been on my radar for a while, but I've only just started to delve into it. And, uh, and also human design, I'm finding incredibly fascinating. And it's, you know, you can weave these concepts in with the Ayurvedic understanding of the mind, but also yogic philosophy and how you know, the yogis view the mind and the mental states. And it's, it's such a beautiful path to be on, to be able to integrate all of these modalities together. Uh, I wanted to ask you though, Sarah, I wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about Vastu because I found that quite fascinating, but it's not a subject I've delved into deeply myself. And I think it's got great value. Mm -hmm. Vastu is actually one of my favorite things within Ayurveda. And I quite frankly don't get to work with it too much because 
even though it was a part of my education when I was receiving my master's in Ayurveda, if I were to go on and purely specialize in that, I would need much more education. But I love teaching people about the basic principles of Vastu. And Vastu is often nicknamed the Indian feng shui. And so I think that that's like the fast track to understanding what it is. And it uses the five Ayurvedic elements to basically section off a space. And we work with quadrants, which I know that five elements and quadrants doesn't seem to match up, but ether has its home in the center. So air, fire, water, and earth all have a quadrant that it governs. And to govern a space or an area of a space, it means that just like us, if, if you are a vata constitution or predominantly, let's say, air, we need to feed the qualities that we have that we really need in terms of our own like soul nurturing. So if I'm vata predominant, there's a good chance that I like creativity. I like free flowing things. I'm not really in love with structure. I like to be spont spontaneous. But if I do that too much, then I won't feel well. And Vastu works the same way, but it works with the, those energies in our space. So, for example, the air quadrant of our home, which is the northwest quadrant, should take on qualities of air, such as painting it, colors of the sky, having things in the room that are very light, like air, or even things that might be symbolic of air but you don't want only to have those things in that space. So you still have to, you have to appease it and pacify it at the same, you know, at the same time, making sure that you're not overdoing it, just like we do our own, our own self. And that also means that certain activities fit better in certain places in your home or that when you think about what you're going to assign a room like what activity that would be like a bedroom, those fit better in different quadrants. So you could actually, and, and I do this now, I haven't moved in quite a while. I've lived in the same place for around 11 years and um, actually nine years. <laughs> but when I chose the space that I live in now, I thought, how can I work with this in terms of Vastu? And there's a real field. Once you understand these things, even just, what is the difference between a cool metal and a warm metal? How do those make you feel? So how does silver, especially shiny silver, make you feel versus like a matte gold or a matte copper, which is warm and grounding? So if you're someone like I think I need more grounding, it would make more sense for me to have those warmer metals in my home because of the energy that they emit. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think I probably love it because it adds one more degree of intention to our lives. And my, I'm, I'm pretty minimal in terms of my living, my live space. I don't have a lot of things. I really don't hang things on the wall. I just don't love to have stuff. And so I've always sort of brought things into my home if they have meaning only. I never have trinkets or things that just sort of sit around. 
And that's really what Vastu is about, is that there's intention to everything, whether it's your workplace or your home, that there's intention behind all of those elements of design. It's very similar to even what we were talking about earlier, where there's intention and almost ritual to not only your own personal life and the way you're moving through life, but your space and your environment and how that's going to ultimately support you and your work and your downtime in all, all ways. Uh, just to clarify, so what you're saying is with the quadrants too, when you're looking at throughout your entire home, we're looking at the different areas of the house, but then it can also be applied to just each individual room as well. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So you could look at on a big scale, you could look at where does your home sit on the property, on the land even. So that's the biggest scale. And then the next scale down would be the quadrants in terms of the entire space. So looking at the blueprint of a home and creating quadrants there. And then the smaller scale is each room then being divided into quadrants and assigning the elements to those quadrants. And yeah, then designing it so that, again, it's about balancing the energy of your home so that you feel good at home. I mean, think about how, if my place is cluttered in any way and I'm feeling anxious, the first thing I do is clean because I know that my environment has a strong influence on how I feel. And that's not the only thing <laughs> that in my environment that influences how I feel. Absolutely. And is there, I'm just thinking now, like is there a resource or a book or somewhere to go to learn more about Vastu that you're aware of? The book that I, or the author that I have enjoyed most is Kathleen Cox. And I think that the book I'm, that I have in mind is called Vastu Living. And I like her and I've actually worked with her a little bit personally when we designed, um, the healing art center that I own and manage that we were able to, to design it from, you know, from an empty box. And so that's exactly how we designed it was putting certain things in certain areas and using specific metals and colors so that when you walk into the space and it's amazing because people will walk in and say, I just feel so good when I walk in here. And I want to say, we did that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> because there is a, so much intention behind every detail that went into that space. So when I designed that space, I used her personally as a resource in terms of helping with just the architecture and whatnot. And she, one reason why I really love her is she stressed that this is not about being superstitious. And while I do actually believe and have seen these sorts of things happen and have teachers that have explained that you may have certain physical dysfunction based on how your home is set up. Um, I never would want to feel like superstitious about that, that just because my door faces the South, that something bad is going to happen to me. And so I like her work for that reason. Um, but there are, there are other resources. And I think that, they get to be a little tough in terms of um, 
they're very traditional, which is Mm -hmm. great, but sometimes traditional doesn't reach us in the same way that like her work does. Yeah, because I think it needs to translate into not a, not so much modern life, but almost like Western life in a way, because a lot of texts, even just general Ayurvedic texts, are based on like the food and the diet of people of what they eat in India, you know, which is beautiful and I love it. But that's not kind of an approach for that entry level beginner, if you will. Um, but, you know, and, it, and I think in human nature, too, we tend to get so we can get very hung up and very pedantic about things, you know, when it comes to Vastu and it's like, you know what, your marriage may not be breaking down because this is in the wrong spot, but like it might actually, cause we can just tend to deflect blame and focus outwardly. And um, yeah. And I think that with Vastu and, and even Jyotish, like Vedic astrology, it's nice to take that to guide your life and coming back to again, creating intention and ritual without it being something that we get overly, stressed about you know yeah. speaking of food can i ask you i'm going to throw you a couple of just random questions here what is your favorite meal this isn't going to sound like a meal but i love soup soup is like my go-to food i love making homemade vegetable broth i i actually eat a vegan diet which per my ayurvedic constitution is not really the best for me um so i try to really figure out ways to make it work, which then means that I need to have a lot more like soupier stew like foods. And so I love making homemade veggie broth and just creating soups. That's, that's my, my favorite thing. So that kind of is my go-to meal. But if I'm being completely honest, if I didn't want to cook. My go-to meal might involve French fries (laughs) because it's something that I love. And I mentioned that because I think we have to enjoy what we're eating. And Ayurveda isn't just about the food. It's about the experience and the environment and the sensory experiment, the experience, like what does it look like? And I think that's so important. So as much as I have go-to food, my go-to is also like, I want to make this look pretty. If I'm making a piece of toast, it's going to look good. (laughs) And as I say, you are not what you eat, but what you digest as well. You know, and if you've got a strong digestive fire, then, you know, as long as you're not doing it all the time, you can eat kind of whatever you want, really. For sure, for sure. And if you're enjoying it and present with it, then... Go for the French fries. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And what would be your favorite sound? Uh, I love the sound of chopping vegetables. Cool. Yeah. Did not expect that. Especially when they hit the cutting board. And I love the sound of just walking on any kind of like dirt, gravel, snow, that sort of crunchy sound too very textural sound yeah that's yeah I love that too and what would you say is your daily non-negotiable there's probably a few (laughs) there are a few but the one the the one true non-negotiable is going for walks that's that's my time to mentally process it's not sometimes it's about exercise and just you know, physically moving, but sometimes it's about the movement of my mind and actually using physical movement to still my mind. 
I start every day with a walk and I often, I live very close to where I work and it, I can actually see it out my window right now. <laughs> but I do sort of a fake commute by walking. So I'll go for a walk before I come home because I feel like it's such a great way for me to transition. So you're walking the long way home, essentially. I am walking the long way home. <laughs> and uh, what have you got coming up in the pipeline in the future? What's what's happening besides the brewing new book that's in your mind? The brewing book is the big thing right now. And as that's brewing, I am sort of testing these ideas and this content through teaching it in different workshops. And it's, it's not that I'm testing the, the content, I guess, so much. It's more just the approach. So that's the big thing for me. And also in an effort to have a greater reach, I'm also trying to get a lot more of what I'm doing into the virtual world because I have been relatively limited to being in my brick and mortar. Yeah, with your community in person. Yeah. And it's just yeah. making it a little bit more accessible getting the content online, I think, because Ayurveda, whilst it's growing in popularity due to, you know, the growth of yoga and naturally that comes with the growth of awareness around Ayurveda, it's still there's I mean, there is stuff online, absolutely, but there's there's not a lot. And I guess with the application of the multiple modalities even if that's not at the forefront of what you're creating but that's always coming through because that's obviously a part of you um, that's just obviously in like another perspective that people can access this information from through you which is very exciting so where where uh where can people find you what's the best place we can send them to the easiest place place to connect is my instagram and my handle is Sarah underscore Kuchera. And then I have a lot of resources on my website, which is sarahkuchera.com. And those are the two places. Um, I'm definitely connecting more with people through social media than via my website. Um, but that's the best way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and a treat to have you sharing your insights. And I cannot recommend your book more highly. It's it's visually very, very beautiful, but exceptionally practical. And it's not intimidating because a lot of Ayurvedic work can be, you know, particularly again for the Western audience. And so I, I think you've done an incredible job creating something beautiful in this world. So thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.